Named after the mechanism that separates the sweet wort from the spent grains, False Bottom Girls features two beer experts filtering through the brewing industry to guide listeners through the wonderful, yet sometimes confusing, world of beer. Hi, my name is Rachel Hudson. I'm the co-owner and head brewer of Pilot Brewing in Charlotte, North Carolina, and an advanced Cicerone. Hi, I'm Jen Blair. I'm the beer program coordinator with New Realm Brewing in Atlanta, Georgia, and I am also an advanced Cicerone. Welcome. I'm just doing what Rachel told me to do. Uh, thank you for joining False Bottom Girls. And today uh, we're in the mood. The rhythm is right. Move to the foam. We can drink all night. We are talking about slow pours today and a little bit about Pilsner's some of the history for you guys, because we've gotten a couple of questions about um, people seeing more and more slow pours and uh, side pour faucets kind of popping up around and wondering what that means um, in terms of the beer. So uh, we thought we'd talk a little bit about it, give you guys a little bit of a history lesson and talk about what you should expect if you're out somewhere and you see a uh, slow pour being offered. That's right. I think uh, one thing that we... Um we'll touch base on in a little bit is, you know, we, we, in our clean glass episode, we talked about, <laughs> you know, dipping your, your spout in the uh, beer, dipping your faucet in the beer. And I think one of the, one of the things we'll touch base on is that you do see that sometimes out in the wild with uh, slow pours mm-hmm. or uh, cask beer. So we will touch base about when that's appropriate and the steps that take to, you know, keep your equipment sanitary and your in your poor sanitary in between customers right and i will say that um after our first few episodes i can tell you now that uh friends and colleagues are now terrified to pour beer in a glass for me (laughs) because they're like well make sure that it's beer clean or jen's gonna talk about it (laughs) Uh, so we've at least instilled fear in the the hearts of my yeah no one's no one's giving me a dirty glass (laughs) that's for sure Yeah, so I think we can start out. Uh, We'll just begin at the beginning. I think um, a lot of people might have some questions just about what Pilsner is. And it seems kind of silly sometimes to talk about that. But I know, um, in particular, I have a book uh, from the Brewers Association, their Brewer Series. And it may have actually been the very first beer style book they put out. um, And it's entitled Continental Pilsners. And when you're reading through the book, it's, first of all, it's very outdated. I mean, it still talks about East Germany and West Germany. Um, but it it refers to loggers, American loggers, as pilsners, which was a little bit confusing for me at first, um, just thinking, wait a second, that's those are two different things. Uh, so we, we wanted to talk a little bit about just the difference between lagers, ales, if you're out and you, you know, you're wondering what, what the difference is. And also with Pilsners, all Pilsners are lagers. Sure. Not all lagers are Pilsners. Uh, so Pilsner is a kind yes. of lager. I think a good catch all that it's easy to remember. It's a little bit more hoppy, crisp version of a lager. Right, right, exactly. And uh, so when we're talking about lagers, versus ales what that really comes down to is the yeast right Mm -hmm. and then also the conditioning method so beers are lagers or ales exactly um that's the two if you think of the kind of the family tree of beer those are the two main branches yep 
you're one or the other. Right. <laughs> and um, lager yeast is also known as bottom fermenting, and ale yeast is known as top fermenting. Sure. And what that means uh, is when the beer is fermenting, the lager yeast kind of goes to the bottom and does its work down there. The ale yeast will do the work up at the top. So if you've ever been a home brewer or you've seen fermenting beer, you kind of know what I'm talking about. When you see that nice krausen on top, that's the yeast. Um, if it's an ale yeast, that's the yeast working at the sure. top. And, and when she means like at the top or bottom, she's saying like of the yes. fermenting vessel. Right. Back in the day of the barrel if right. you will, you know, of whatever you're using to, to make that magic happen. Right. And uh, lagers are also fermented at a much cooler temperature than ales are. So a lager will be, what, usually like 4852? Sure. And yep. then ales are around like mid-60s, depending on the strain. It can go up to mid-70s. Some mm-hmm. of the newer strains can go even higher mm-hmm. than that. And, of course, there are always exceptions to these rules. Right. Which make everything more confusing. But... <laughs> But there are so there are uh, there are ales that identifies as, lo- as lagers, and there are lagers that identify as ales, or favor different conditions. But right, we'll talk a little bit about uh, one example of that. Right. So, um, Rachel, I think you can probably speak to the difference in brewing when you're brewing a lager versus an ale. And one sure. really cool thing that we you know learned about last year at white labs that we got really excited about that i know pilot uses quite a bit also is that high pressure lager yeast yeah this is one of the exceptions so like jen just said this lagers are typically brewed um you know there's a difference between brewing and fermenting i guess to start with um you know when we're brewing a lager um we're typically doing a different mash temperature profiles some a lot of times we'll do something called a step mash Oral, uh, and when we say mash, we mean mix all the grain with the water. Um, this is important for you know you, you when you brew beer, you gotta you gotta make this sugar water, and this is the process of making this sugar water. Um, so you know there's a different couple of mashing re- regimens. Uh, ma- step mashing is where you start at a lower temp, maybe 120, take it up to about uh, let it sit there for about 15, 20 minutes, whatever your desired recipe. Take it up another step. About 130, another step to about 148, another step to about 168. You know, you go through this series of stepping up the mash temperature. Mm. There's also a decoction mash um, where you take a little bit of that mash, you boil it, the water and the grain all together, and then you uh, put it back to with your original mash. And these are all different ways of extracting more types of sugars. Um, Some of these methods were popular more so back, you know, in the day where modified grain wasn't Mm -hmm. as available as it is today and these were extra things you could do to get more sugar out of the wort um a lot of times with just a simple ale recipe it's going to be you can do just kind of like a one temperature um mash a single infusion is what that's called and there's reasons for doing a whole bunch of different ones um i think a lot of the big differences between you know ales and lagers in the brewing is the type of malt you're going to use you can use a lot of pilsner malt um, a lot of Munich types, uh, things that... Pilsner malt and Pilsner beers? Pil- <laughs> yeah. What? And typically, uh, it, you know, you hear the terms Pilsner and pale malt thrown out a lot. And uh, they're different base malts. Mm-hmm. Pilsner malt has a little bit uh, less of a color, a little bit more water cracker, graininess to it. A little bit less character than a pale. They're both very nice base malt and very, very well done. You can give it a lot of good bready cracker flavors, but... 
Um, you know, there's a Pilsner malt has a little bit of the precursor for DMS left in it from dude from the malting process called SM SMM S methylmethionine. Thank you. She's the she's the brains. <laughs> we remember we're halfsters. <laughs> if you remember that from previous episodes. So uh, that some of that is left. More of that is left in a Pilsner malt versus a pale malt. So we typically boil the beer a little bit longer to uh, counteract that. And then we would an ale, typically a 90 minute boil versus a, a 60 minute boil. And it's cause you're using a lot of that Pilsner malt. Um, but a big difference, the main difference is when it comes from fermentation and Jen said, you know, with loggers, you typically ferment it, ferment them lower temperature around 50 degrees, whereas an ale might be 68 degrees. Mm-hmm. And the reason we do that is because, um, loggers are very, very clean. They don't produce a lot of fruity esters. They're, very straightforward character about the malt showcase of the malt and, and the hops, but the you know the yeast flavor, the yeast effects are going to be minimum, and um, so it takes a lot longer. It takes a lot longer to do the lagers because at the lower temperature, the yeast goes slower. They want to be warm. The warmer they are, the faster they're going to work. The warmer they are, the more esters they're also going to excrete. Mm-hmm. So. Um, breweries take months you know anywhere from six to eight weeks to four to six months to make these loggers and that it's sad to sit in the tank and that's a lot mm-hmm. of tank space and that's money and as business owners you know we like to make money right that is a lot of tank space it's a lot of tank space i mean to have some i mean what is that like maybe three brews a year if you're if you're right. going like the month periods so high pressure lager yeast this is where uh i mean we just fell in love with this stuff and um it's awesome yeah, it was really great. It, so this yeast is a lager yeast that will make a clean, perfectly good lager beer in about three weeks. It, um, we ferment the, this yeast under pressure. So we, we keep the fermenter under just under a bar of pressure, which is about 14.5 PSI. It's a lot of pressure. Um, it definitely, if something was come off that tank, it's you know, a lot of pressure to be dangerous. And um, so what... We also ferment this beer at 68 degrees, which, as we just said, lagers are typically fermented around 50. So that's a big jump. And the reason this is so different is because the the pressure that is being put onto this lager yeast is either, and I'm not a scientist, but it's either preventing from these esters from excreting because Mm -hmm. all the pressure is is being pushed down. They're not allowed to leave the yeast cell. Or something is cleaning it up, but I'm sure it's preventing. That's my guess is, right. um, you know, there's, I'm not sure. I'm sure it's not leaving the cell and getting cleaned up by the force of CO2 on right. top. I think that the pressure is not, is allowing the, uh, nothing is allowing to be excreted from the, the yeast. Maybe we'll um, make an effort to get somebody who knows what they're talking about when it comes to the yeast. Hey, I know what I'm on, talking about as a brewer. Right. No, 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 no. <laughs> I, I definitely know that, but maybe we can get somebody no, exactly. from White Labs I'm definitely on not here. a scientist. Right. But um, it goes super fast. It ferments really fast. It ferments at um, about 10 days. It will clean up. And, you know, we do this about, like, I, I said 68, but we do it about 66. And then we bring it to a diacetyl rest at 68. Um, and that's a whole different topic in itself. Right. But um, so, and then we hit logger it and condition it for about another 10 days. So, 
I mean, it, it is, it's flawless. Like, we do proper VDK testing on it to turn, but before we start conditioning it, you know, and it, it cleans up all the off flavors that a lager should be cleaning up, um, and then it conditions the way it should condition, and then it's naturally carbonated. That's right. And it it's is. so cool. And don't we have a special valve for that also, the spundy? Yes, on the that tank? is another part of this. You can't just, like, do this with any fermenta- fermenting vessel. You right. have to have a special valve. Right. Um, so that will control the pressure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's not going to work with your carboy. Right. Like you're, you're going to be very, very displeased. But um, yes. injured, probably. Yeah. Probably very injured. Well, I don't think you can keep <laughs> pressure on your carboy. It'd probably just be like yeah, exactly. beer everywhere. I don't, right. I don't even know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know. Who knows? But uh, yes, this is called a spunding valve. Spunding. It, spunding. But they're, they're great. And we put it on the side of our tank and it has a... a you can set it. It has like a little uh, bowl cup that we set sanitizer in. And then inside of that has a, a set valve that we like either rotate up or down. And it sets a certain pressure that we want it to go off. So it releases pressure at that pressure. Once the tank builds up to 14 PSI, it releases pressure through that special valve through a, a little bucket of uh, CO2. I mean, I'm um, sorry, of Sani, of sanitizer. <laughs> we capture CO2 so CO2 can <laughs> reuse it. We're so good. But then it's naturally carbonated because all this CO2 has been kept in suspension of the beer. It's um, way more naturally carbonated than any other beer would be, um, even even more than Cascale. Um, it's very naturally carbonated, which uh, seems weird because Cascale is just naturally carbonated, but this has a more head to it. It's just right. more. It's just more carbonation. I, I don't know the exact uh, volume off the top of my head of CO two, but um, oh, it's great. So we end up we, the beer's done. So we ended up we we take it off the yeast, we put it in the bright tank, we keg it up. Three weeks later, natural carbonation. I mean, it's amazing and it tastes wonderful. We've done it this does. multiple it's- times. There's only one yeast string for all the lager beers. Right. <laughs> it's the high pressure. That's all we use. I mean, there's lots of yeast strings, but that there's only like, there's no like Pilsner high pressure or like Munich lager high right. pressure. It's just like one high pressure. Right. When we're talking about Pilsner, most Pilsners are going to broadly fall into a German Pilsner or a Czech style Pilsner. And um, that's, you know, you'll see like the American craft version of mm-hmm. those, but Generally speaking, when we're talking about Pilsner styles, it's going to be German or Czech. And um, those are very similar. Mainly the differences are, you know, just with their ingredients. So with a Czech Pilsner, it's going to be using Saz hops, which are Czech hop. Um, it'll be using their Moravian barley. And also, uh, they. so the Czech Pilsner was developed um, in the town of Pilsen, um, and what's now the Czech Republic. But back in the mm-hmm. day, it was the um, Kingdom of Bohemia, which is why yes. you also have Bohemian, you'll see Bohemian Pilsner. And the really interesting thing about Czech Pilsners and how they were developed, um, so the the main, like the commercial example is Pilsner or Cal. Yes. And er, er is your, your clue there. Right. It means original. Original, exactly. Um, but the the town of Pilsen, there was so much bad beer being brewed that this group of brewers just destroyed all of these barrels of beer, and the town decided we are going to open a town brewery, and it was run by the city. So this they you know they said we want to make sure we're having good beer made here, 
and so they opened their own brewery so it's it's sort of like when a city gets a football stadium yeah (laughs) you know so they have their own brewery and the first brewer who came in uh, is joseph grohl and he started brewing he was from munich um and he was actually using yeast that a monk had stolen from germany and brought to the czech republic uh, for him to start using and they allegedly <laughs> had their recipe right by like the second or third time for Pilsner or Kel. Wow. And have not changed it since. Man. Uh, so that's, I love stories about hijinks with, <laughs> with brewing. And uh, the, then the German style developed a little bit later in Munich. And it's a little bit, it's different. It's one is using German hops. Mm-hmm. There were still, they're sort of in the same region. So the, the hop flavors are going to be similar, but it typically uses Tetanang hops, which is a, like saw is another one of the noble hops. And their water is a little bit harder than it is in Pilsen. So another interesting side note, uh, where we are located in Charlotte, North Carolina, we have the Charlotte city water is very, very similar to the water in Pilsen. Mm-hmm. So if you wanted to just, you know, use your, don't just use your tap water, but if you wanted to use Charlotte City water, um, kind of replicate that brewing the style that the is best suited for the water, we would be very good with uh, Czech yeah. style Pilsners just because our water profiles are so similar. Yeah. Yeah. Typically, a uh, main taste difference would be a little bit drier, crisper finish in, right. a, in a German style Pilsner exactly. versus a Czech style Pilsner. Exactly. And, the, the and that helps because of the water. Right, content. exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, we have in Charlotte and in Pilsen very, very soft water. Yeah. There's not a lot of calcium, so it doesn't have that crisper taste that you would get in Munich. And I have to make another very brief diversion as long as we're talking about brewing hijinks to tell you one of my favorite stories about brewing and, like, we need to start crowdsourcing to get this movie made <laughs> is the story of uh, Gabriel Sedermeyer, the younger and Anton Dreyer. So Siedelmeyer, the elder, <laughs> uh, bought the Spaten Brewery in Germany and kind of resurrected it. And one of the reasons why they were able to resurrect it is because they really embraced the industrial revolution, the changes coming about in brewing. So things that we take for granted now, just like using a thermometer or a hydrometer yeah. Or refrigeration, those were all things that people were resistant to. And they were the ones that started adopting all of this stuff really early. So Gabriel Siedelmeyer, the younger, took over brewing and took over the brewery when his dad died. And wanted to learn more, so he started uh, traveling abroad, namely in England. And there he met, met up with Anton Dreyer, who his family had a brewery in Austria. And these guys, like, buddy comedy, I have to see, get made. So... <laughs> They're touring all over England, and they just start stealing stuff, right? So they're stealing wort, they're stealing yeast samples, and they <laughs> had these... they can get their hands Yeah, on. and they had these canes that were, like, hollow, so they could just, like, bloop, dip it in something, and then bring all these samples back. The, so the, That's the, what I'm going to do at New Rail. <laughs> I'm going to come visit you, start yeah, stealing stuff. If, if Rachel shows up with a cane, I'll be like, no, <laughs> no, you, you're going to limp around without this cane. Uh, but they, from that, they went back to their respective breweries, and Gabriel the Younger developed Munich malt and developed the Marzen, and mm-hmm. Anton developed Vienna malt and developed the Vienna lager. 
So that's why Emerson and Avina Lager are this so is similar. All around the same time. This is like 1841, 1842, yeah. like this, like Pilsner, right. Marzen, Vienna Lager, exactly. like boom. This. This is like when, you know, the craft beer boom happened in America. This right. is like the German beer boom. Yeah, exactly. And it's uh, people basically stealing secrets to figure out yeah. how to make loggers. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, I just, we need to get this movie made, this buddy comedy. I love it. Of like, yeah. Gabe and Tony <laughs> having adventures. <laughs> oh, my God. It's great. Yeah. So that was just a little bit of a diversion, but one of my most favorite beers. It's not like they could just get on the Facebook. Let me message this brewery real quick. (laughs) Right. What are y'all doing for this? Right. Exactly. And, you know, and and even in those days, particularly with uh, the Czech Pilsners, that style, it was so region specific that they had like a death penalty imposed if they caught somebody trying to take saws, rhizomes out of the area to try to grow somewhere else. So, yeah, they they definitely took it. Seriously. And it's so funny, too, because if you read about, like, Belgian history and, like, they all, like, work together. They use each other's yeast. Right. <laughs> like, they like, they share the monks. They share, you know. Right, exactly. Yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> Just goes to show you. Let's talk about what a slow pour, side pour, what that means. Yes. Because this is a Czech... German pr- tradition, right? It's poor. It's really more so Czech, but Germany yes, has sure. a similar tradition that we'll talk about that doesn't involve the, the actual faucet. Yeah. The slow pour with the side pull. Mm-hmm. Side pull does the slow pour. It's a mouthful. It's right. a mouthful. Okay, so side pull is mouthful the faucet. Of foam. Mouth. Ah, see what you did there. <laughs> we'll get it in a minute. <laughs> like the person like the people listening right. will understand yeah. not like you'll get yeah, it yeah no, okay. I get it okay <laughs> <laughs> so the slow pour the side pull makes a slow pour now the slow pour is supposed to be like five to seven minutes five to seven minutes to pour a glass of beer which results in a very thick foamy dense wet cappuccino like right head or I've heard meringue also meringue, meringue like it's good it's good dense Thick. This is kind of a new thing that we've started to see, like over here at you know Charlotte specifically in America, just like different breweries getting this side faucet. I think we had um, we had someone reach out to us over social media asking, you know, seeing kind of the same thing. We were uh, an example of this side pole being poured. So when this side pole is being used, the faucet is in the glass of Correct. beer. It's in the glass, submerged. It's supposed to be. It's supposed to be, yes. (laughs) So he was wondering, you know, why? You know, why is this? Why are they doing this when you're not supposed to have your faucets? Like, I listened to you. Right. You said (laughs) faucets weren't supposed to be in the beer. You're right. And they're not, depending on the faucet. But these are specifically, yes, they are supposed to be in the beer when it's pulled. There are supposed to be certain sanitary measures taken right after you use it and every night in between service. So that aside, everything they were doing is fine. Side pull, slow pour, good to go. Here's my thing. There's, you know, I watched this little video about the, the side pull, and there were three different methods for doing this side pull. Mm-hmm. Um, there was the crisp, the smooth, and the milk, and those produced three different levels of foam. Well, kind of. The crisp and the smooth seemed to produce the same level of foam, but pour differently right. to release a different amount of carbonation. But real quick, with the... Um Again, I'm trying to describe this using my hands, which doesn't make for great podcasting. But when we're talking about a side pour faucet, comparing that to what you see on a normal faucet. So think about the normal tap 
if somebody's just pouring you a beer, that's like an on-off switch. Mm-hmm. And a side pour faucet is more like a dimmer. So yeah, that's a good that's, way to put Yeah, it's the um, side pour has a ball valve on it that you can turn, and that determines the amount of either beer or foam yes. that you're getting. A regular faucet is just a plunger. It's open or it's closed. It's made to do that. Right. It wants to do that. If it if it's in the middle, it creates a lot of foam, which is it's just not the appropriate faucet for creating foam. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yes. Uh, so yes, that's exactly what it's for. So you can control the level of foam essentially that you're creating. Right. And the, it also has similar to a nitro faucet. It has a little screen yes. right before it, the beer hits that right before it goes through the glass. And so that will also just like a nitro faucet help break that CO2 out of solution. Mm-hmm. And it helps create more foam. Right. Right. So yeah, like I was saying, you know, we, we were introduced to these three different levels of foam. And I can get behind both. Let, let's go through each one. The theory is... <laughs> I like that you said there's three different. I can get behind both. Uh, uh, that, okay. Because, That's because, because I can only get behind two. One Let of me them, correct that. <laughs> one of them Rachel has blocked out of her memory. Yeah, I just, I just <laughs> like, I get it, I guess, but I just don't know why you would As a it. beer drinker, right. Yeah. We'll so, get there. We'll get there. <laughs> so, like, this first one, right, they describe it as crisp. This is kind of what you would assume a normal beer looks like when you pour it yes it starts out with a little bit of head it uh ends with beer mostly beer has probably about like a little less a fourth of the glass like two inches ahead that one was the smooth that was a smooth yeah, i said you start with the foam i said crisp beer. but i meant smooth the smooth that breaks a little bit of co2 out of suspension which is supposed to be good for digestion you're not filling your stomach up with a bunch of gas right this is according to the checks or to Pilsner Raquel, this is a very good pour for when you're sitting with friends, hanging out, drinking, right? Um, session drinking. And then you had the crisp, which you, if you've ever seen a bartender at a bar, they sometimes pull the tap and let the beer hit the drain before they put the glass under it. Mm-hmm. That's literally what you do. Right. You start the pour like that. Um, it pours with, you, you use the faucet in its way. Right. You know, you use that open in a 45 degree angle instead of fully and you create that head. Right. So same kind of product, but you didn't knock out as enough, as much CO2. Right. It's more like a, just regular. It's like beer. regular beer. And this is what they say. This is good for if you're eating, you know, you have all this carbonation left in the beer to scrub all that fat and all that salt right. and all these flavors off your tongue from your food. Cool. Get it. That's fine. <laughs> I'm fine with both. <laughs> they also do say like that crisp way when you el- expose that beard at a little bit of time, it's expo- risking it to oxidation. No. I don't really buy that. It's not, I mean, what, we're talking the amount of, of 30 seconds uh, or a couple minutes. We're talking like a couple minutes. Not even. Yeah, I mean, you want, what is it, to... You're still creating a head. It's right. still on there. An ounce per two seconds, right? Is that, isn't that what your normal pour is supposed to be? Yeah. I mean, or two ounces, one second, two, two ounces per second. Right. So yeah, there's no, yeah, it's like technically, but it's the same way as like, technically Rachel and I are dying right now because like, we're all on this slow immortal march to death, but you don't like see it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I took that to a weird place. What she means is the beer will go bad eventually, but not right now. Right. It's aging, but you're not going to taste it. Right, exactly. Just like we're aging, but you don't necessarily see it as right. it happens. Right. All right. So anyways, then we have this third way, and it's called milk, because that's what it looks like. <laughs> it looks- as you can see, Rachel's got opinions about the milk pour. 
<laughs> you open it. You so you pour foam. You just open it a little bit enough so foam is just trickling into the glass. Mm-hmm. You don't even need to like hold it at a forty-five degree angle. I think they were, but it seems like you probably just let it sit there. And then it makes a glass of foam, and it has a little bit of beer in the bottom. Right. And they love it. I don't understand. And this is like what you. This is how what you do when you're like trying to get drunk. Like this is well. I don't or know like if trying to get drunk. Pound trying to pound. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't charge you for a full glass, which. They better not, because, right? But they say this is for the beer connoisseur, for the person that can appreciate a uh, glass of foam. I'm like, I don't understand. I I consider myself a beer connoisseur, and I I can appre- I'll try it. Like I'll try right. anything. Like, but I just don't understand why I would want to order that. Yeah, it's definitely um, part of a beer drinking culture that isn't American culture yet introducing it to us Rachel and I both are like well why wouldn't you just drink beer Um, and again definitely would try it because I I can appreciate we were talking before we started um, recording about how it's kind of rare for either one of us to hear about something completely new to us that has to do with beer which is not to say I mean there is a lot that I don't understand about beer so I'm not saying that I know anything but to learn about like here's this cultural thing that's very ingrained somewhere else and we're learning about it, and like we had never heard about and it. And I before. mean, very ingrained in somewhere else. Right. This isn't new there. It right. might be something that was kind of like maybe not spotlighted. Definitely wasn't spotlighted in my right. whole career of learning. And I went to Germany. I didn't go check. It's yeah. maybe more of a check thing. Yeah, it is. The side door is definitely check. a check. Uh, uh, oh, now check I'm going. And I'm going to be like, no milk. <laughs> you give me smooth. <laughs> <laughs> and you say it like Russian from the 80s. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. I like a smooth. <laughs> it's, it again, it's, it's very interesting to be able to learn about these things. And I would definitely give it a try. But yeah, as a beer drinker, I just like to be efficient with my drinking. I just and <laughs> I'm just never going to understand. Like, I get it. You get more milk. It's dense. It's cappuccino-like. It's right. wet. It's whatever i mean i want a good dense wet head too right don't we all i don't i, I don't want a glass full of foam like that i just don't understand and yes it, i guess it settles i guess some of it settles what like 25 percent of foam is beer yeah so like what i mean we ending up with here yeah. like it's three just sips of concept. beer yeah at the end of this and it's a full glass of foam this isn't like this is like 16 20 ounces probably because it's over there yeah it's a full mug of foam yeah it's it's just interesting it's a completely new concept but they were not dirty glasses. They were not dirty glasses. They made a huge stink. This is a video we were watching. <laughs> made a huge stink in the beginning about that glass better not be dirty because it's going to ruin all the foam. <laughs> and I love it. It was my favorite part of the whole video. It, yeah, we we uh, we enjoy having our uh, convictions yeah. validated. You know, one thing by that, old check men. <laughs> this is a really off topic. I'm just going to take one, you know, thirty seconds. But my husband pointed out to me that we never actually described what a dirty glass looks like. Yeah, we did. Maybe we did. He needs to listen he better. He didn't listen. Hey, Jeff. You can edit that part out. You need to listen okay. better. Okay. <laughs> I was like, did, did you listen the whole thing? He's like, no, I got bored. I don't want to listen to my wife bitch about beer in my free time. <laughs> I was like, that's fair. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we had kind of teased about the how uh, Germans do it as well, and they don't... As far as I know, so in, in the research we've done, it's the side pour faucets are more of a check thing specifically pilsner or cow yeah and in germany they do have what is usually called the seven minute pour and it's it's, it's the same thing 
Yes. And it's, uh, you know, some of the stuff I've read has said if you're in Germany and you order a beer and they bring it back to you right away, they'll they'll be like, take it back because I know you didn't pour this right. So the way that they, they do that and also the way that you can do it at home with um, really with any beer. Like if I'm doing this at home, instead of doing the 45 angle, you just pour straight down. Mm-hmm. And you do the same thing out of a faucet is mm-hmm. you pour straight down, which is going to create that foam. And then you let it settle. And then you do it again. And then you let it settle. And doing that, you create these layers of this really nice, the same kind of thing, just a dense, creamy, thick mm-hmm meringue-like head. And, and you can do this with a can, too. Yeah, exactly. If you want to try it at home. Yeah, yeah. and uh, same with bottle, um, same out of the faucet. And it's, I mean, it's called the seven-minute pour because it does take a while. It is an mm-hmm. exercise in patience. And I actually learned that from Tasting Beer by Randy Mosier. He talks about how doing that, you get that super, super pretty, thick, dense, creamy head mm-hmm. on any beer. Yeah. And so definitely try it at home because it is, it makes it a fun process. I mean, for me, I don't, sometimes I just want to drink my beer and I don't want to wait like 30 seconds. Sure, I can't. Yeah. And let's let's be honest, there's no beer, like bar around here in the United States where you're going to be fine (laughs) with waiting, like on the regular. Yeah. Unless you're a beer stot. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, Or yeah, any place with a side pour, but it it is something that you can replicate at home. Mm -hmm. Um, Just with whatever you have, pour the beer straight into the glass instead of holding it at the 45 degree angle and let that foam settle, pour it some more, let it settle and keep doing that. And you will see, actually, I can usually see like the different layers in the glass of when I've poured the beer and then you just get that really nice. And it's, I mean, it's such a pretty looking beer Mm -hmm. uh, when you do that. So it's definitely gratifying, not only in the kind of worth the weight, but also just the, the way that it looks. Yeah. But don't take our word for it (laughs) because we're going to have on Ashley Carter. Yes. Yeah. We'll be doing um, next up. We'll have an interview with Ashley Carter. She's the owner and or co-owner and head brewer at Beerstadt Lager House in Denver, who really made the side pour or I guess the slow pour Pilsner put it on the map for American craft. And I know that there are other places that have done it. And have been doing it, but they're they're the ones recently, I guess I should say. They're kind of the sexy, the yeah. sexy logger uh, on the scene. Um, so yeah, when you guys are out and about and you see a side pour, I definitely recommend giving yeah. it a try. And um, if they've got the milk pours, give that a try too. Let us know if you want how it is. <laughs> you know, this episode came about because, like we had said, somebody had reached out to us on social media to say, what do you think about the way they're pouring this beer? Because you had said that the faucet shouldn't be in the beer. And um, I know Resident Culture recently had their lager fest here in Charlotte. I went to it and it was amazing. That's cool. And it was just all lagers and it was fantastic. Um, And it's great to have that on the map because I think Rachel can attest to it's a deceptively simple beer, but it's incredibly difficult. It's like a chef being able to make a scrambled egg really well. You can't hide behind anything. There's not a whole bunch of hops or vanilla bean or whatever thrown in. It's, it's deceptively simple and it's a great showcase for a brewer's technical skills. Yeah. It's one of the harder beers to, to do well. As we mentioned earlier in the episode, coming up next, we have an interview I did with Ashley Carter of Beerstadt Lager House. 
I apologize in advance for the quality of the interview. Uh, it was not done in our podcasting studio, but rather just over the phone the old-fashioned way. Um, Ashley still was a great person to talk to. I really enjoyed speaking with her, and I hope you all enjoy listening to our interview. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, I no problem at all. <laughs> so with all of that kind of intro, for me, I was wondering if you could give me um, kind of your elevator speech for Beerstadt, you know, the the origin story and um, kind of what you guys, what you're all about. The you know, story is kind of, uh, it's kind of, it's a culmination of pretty much everything me and my partner have learned over the years. Um, we have always had a, I like, like love German beer and like, and some of that is, you know, that German beer culture mm-hmm. as well, which is, you know, just the idea of like, I know beer quite a bit. Uh, but when you're drinking it, you know, you're kind of just focusing on, you know, it doesn't need an instruction manual, you know. So it's the kind of beer that <laughs> right. you can, you know, drink with friends and, like, talk about anything, honestly, but the beer in front of you. You know, I, I talk about beer a lot because I'm in the industry and things like that. But the kind of, you know, it's kind of like, I wouldn't say dumbing down, that's not the right words, but like you said, making it more accessible. And, like, you know, if something can be, like, I'm the person who has to worry about, crafting this thing and hopefully it's perfect but you know it doesn't mean mean the person drinking it has to you know take it seriously or whatever but you know just to understand it um and I think that that way you know beer is just better than wine you know like people right. like you know I hate the idea of like looking down at somebody because of what they're drinking or whatever unless it's like maybe a spike seltzer uh <laughs> but um <laughs> uh, but you know what I mean it's like you should drink what you like and I like that we make beer you know for like the, the masses, I guess, you know? Right. So, you know, when we, uh, I had worked at another brewery. Um, I got my start at a small brewery in Aurora, which is like southeast of Denver. And that's where I met my current partner. Um, and we started another brewery here in town, actually. Uh, and it got, it was pretty brutal the way it kind of ended. It kind of got kicked out of his own company, basically. Oh, wow. Uh, for the whole idea, you know, everything they started, basically, um, and we kind of just started this brewery so that nobody could ever tell us what we had to do. You know, we never have to right, right. have to do anything. We only do what we want to do. People go, you have to make an IPA. And I, I would say, do you, though? Like, you know, when you start telling <laughs> your customers dictate what you have to do, they're always going to tell you what your competitor is doing. And I think it's, you know, prudent to obviously, obviously sell beer. You know, I'm not that dumb. But um, to also not really give a shit about what other people think or what they think about what you're doing. And I think this whole thing that we did here is a testament to that, and it was kind of our inspiration for it, you know. And I said, oh, you can't just make lager, or oh, you can't just do this. And I think you you can. You just have to go at it with everything you can, because that's the only way. If you don't offend somebody in some way, or, you know, you can't make everybody happy, and that's why some people will love you, is because you don't cater to what everybody wants necessarily. Right, right. So um, I think that when you start, you know, uh, chasing trends and things like that, and you see what everybody's running to, you should turn around and look the other way and see what they're, you know, <laughs> running away from, I guess. You know, instead of running right. what they're running to, you know, look the other way and see if, if you really want to run with them or if you want to stay put. So um, I don't know if that really answers your question or not, but, you know, for Bill and I, it's, a, it's a, the only thing we've ever wanted to do um, and awesome. do it this way. Right. 
And it, it is funny that you said that because one of the questions I have written down is how do you handle people chasing trends? Like how do you handle those people who come in and want to know what hazy IPA you have on tap? <laughs> Um, you know, I look at like where we are here in the River North area, and there's 15 breweries within a mile. And I, mm. honestly, if that's what you're really looking for, like, go get it somewhere else. Like, I know that you know, some people are like, "Oh, you turned my business sick." Well, I don't have a passion for making hazy IPA. Right. I don't want to make it. Like, and I think that when you start to resent your customers, and I see a lot of, unfortunately, a lot of people that I know, you know, they resent the people that are drinking those beers that they don't actually want to make. And I never want to feel like I resent my customer. And so. What we try to do here is uh, offer up some education. Like this is why we do what we do. Um, if you're looking, you know, for that, here's some other great options. But you know, this is what we do, and we try to go as hard as we possibly can, and we try to, um, you know, basically be perfect at one thing. And you'll either appreciate it, or maybe you won't. Or you know, honestly, at the end of the day, nine out of ten people are still drinking light lagers, so there will be, you know more people, and I feel like by focusing on this one thing, it gives people a reason to come um, check us out, you know, instead of just getting lost in kind of the bustle of the other breweries around here. Right. Right. No, and I think that's great, and I completely agree with you that I think that's a great answer is, you know, good for them, not for us, and having that kind of clear vision is what makes, you know, people like me, like the, the beer nerds who are going to come into town and specifically go there because we know that that's something that's unique that we can't get at every every brewery in Denver. Um, yep. Yeah, I think that makes that makes perfect sense. And I think you know, it's it, for me at least, it's kind of like when they say like kids need structure. And mm -hmm. so when you just give brewers or not brewers, pardon me, drinkers whatever whatever it is they say they want. You know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't think you want that, though, <laughs> you know? And so having yeah. that structure, like, yeah, no, these are just really well-done loggers. Uh, that's that's important, and I think a lot of beer drinkers definitely respect that. So I think that's very cool. Um, so tell me, when you guys were looking at this, I know that you guys weren't the first ones um, in American mm -hmm. craft to really – Advertise having you know a good a good slow pour pilsner. So, what was your inspiration for that? For wanting to bring that part of the experience in? Uh, you know, I think um, it was kind of a difficult decision at first, but I think that like so many people have been to these other countries and things like that, and they've seen these things, and there's some stuff that they want to emulate. And I don't mm -hmm. understand why they don't. You know, you respect it so much, and you know, I think that they just say you can't, it can't be done. And I, honestly, I was fairly skeptical at first that we could pull it off. Mm -hmm. um, but I also knew that the beer just tasted better like that. Like, I just knew, like, when we were, you know, I'd always, like, at the other place I was at, I'd always have the bartender pour it for me like that. And I was like, well, why should I only experience that? We want, you know, other people to experience it the way that we think it's the best way to be experienced. And that is right. part of that, you know, flow pour. Um, those side faucets, you know, I'd seen them before. Uh, and the previous place we were at, we had pretty cool faucets too, and I kind of just wanted something cooler. So kind of, honestly, it was just born a little bit out of, like, those are pretty fucking cool. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like, it was, you know, some of it, like, it's hard to divorce that, you know, and we, we made this conscious decision uh, to call it Slow Pour Pills and to do it this certain way. And I've, you know, I've seen people, you know, come to our bar, other brewery owners that I respect, but they'll be like, oh, you just can't be doing that right now. You know, you've you got a you lot in here. 
And you go look at it like, well, maybe that's kind of why we have a line. You know, right. if you start abandoning the things that you believe in just because it's difficult, then, you know, I, I, I love to see that we can pull that off successfully. And it's pretty cool to see, I call it a pills of palooza, you know, <laughs> um, when we have like 40 of them up on the bar. You know, I kind of think that that is, that is why people are there, you know. It's not because the beer just tastes great, but it's because we do something different, you know, that they that they also, you know, respect. And some people think it's dumb or whatever, and that's their prerogative as well. But right. I know for me, I think the beer tastes better that way, and so we'll just continue to do it that way. So right. it's so unfortunate um, that that, you know, unfortunately people just don't know the difference too, and that's, I think, is part of this education portion of it. Like, you can drink whatever you like. I really do truly believe that. But there is something to be said about you know, giving people the best example of, of something so they can actually decide if they like it or not, you know? Yes. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. That, um, I'm a huge smoked beer person. And yeah, I get, yummy. Yeah, like I get really get off my beer lawn when I have a uh, beer where the brewer has used peat smoked malt because oh. you're just, you're you know, you're just not supposed to. And I'm also a big rules person. So I'm like, it's against the rules. But I've told people before, yeah. if... You know, there are so many different nuanced styles of smoked beers that just taste fantastic, and they're not all the same. And if somebody has a terrible smoked beer the first time they have smoked beer, then they never want to try one again. again. Yeah, Yeah, that's unfortunate. That that there's, you know, a a rainbow of different smoked beer styles. Mm -hmm, Um, Yeah, I I definitely. Yeah, I think the um, the education portion. Is huge, and that's definitely part of the story for you guys too. You know, with having, yeah, there's a long line, and here's why. And everybody who's in line, if they don't understand when they get in the line why they're waiting, they do by the time they get up here. Yep. Thank you so much for your time, and I look forward to being able to meet you in person. I think that we've uh, we're fast friends on what we've bonded with in this. Cool. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of False Bottom Girls, and a special thank you to Ashley Carter at Beerstadt Lager House in Denver, Colorado, for taking the time to talk to us today about her brewery and the beers that they're making there. If you would like to find Beerstadt on social media, you can at Beerstadt Lager. That's B-I-E-R-S-T-A-D-T-L-A-G-E-R. As always, you can find False Bottom Girls on Facebook and Instagram at False Bottom Girls. You can also email us, falsebottomgirls at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everyone, and we hope to talk to you soon. This has been False Bottom Girls, and we make the brewing world go round.